Well, welcome to church today. It is so great to see you here in this room and of course our friends online. We're glad to have you with us. And I'm grateful really that we can share times like this with one another in times like these. And we're going to get through the season through which we're living, but we're grateful to know that we have a God that loves us, a God who's in control, and a God who wants to really minister in us and then through us as we make our way through this particular season. You know, we often associate holidays with good times. How many of you, like me, could use a good time right about now? All right. Well, good news. We have a holiday coming up this week. All right. On Saturday, we have July 4th, and our nation's going to celebrate 244 years. And so we're very grateful for this country. And I want to say, without caveat, without qualification, that I am grateful to live in the United States of America, that I believe it's been a nation blessed of God, and I believe, personally, it's the greatest nation in all of the world. And I'm very thankful that we get to celebrate the freedoms that we have. And of course, we're aware today that we have the freedoms that we have today because of those who fought for them, to earn them, and we're grateful for those who have preserved them, and what a wonderful opportunity we have this week to celebrate uh, what America means to all of us. July 4th, 1776, 56 men basically signed their lives away when they declared independence. 56 men signed their names. 12 lost their homes in the war. They were burned to the ground. Two lost sons. Two more had sons captured and imprisoned. Nine of the original signers died in the war. And to a man, they all suffered difficulty because as we all know, it's more than a cliche. Freedom is not free. The sacrifice that has been paid out over the years to procure and preserve our freedoms was based on the conviction that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And I'm grateful for really the heart of the words that Patrick Henry gave to us when he said, give me liberty or give me death. And I feel that way myself. I'm grateful for the liberties that we have. We're in a teaching series right now that we've entitled, We're Essential. And it's a teaching series, by and large, to deal with the topic of the church. And we've come to understand during this time, some things are essential, some things are considered not essential. And we're grateful today to know that the church of Jesus Christ is. And we learn, first and foremost, the church is essential not because we belong to it, but because it belongs to to the Lord. It's all about Jesus, and that's what makes the church essential. Last week we learned that the church is essential because of that which takes place when we gather together. And one of the things we learned that happens when we come together in a place like this, in a time like this, is God can comfort us, and then He lets us take that comfort to those in our lives. Today I would like for us to make the connection between the essential nature of the church and how God can bless a nation. The essential nature of a church and how through that God can bless a nation. I really have two texts for today. Uh, in a moment, I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 14. If you want to make your way there in the Word, Proverbs chapter 14. And uh, before I read there, I'm going to read uh, one verse to kind of lead into that. I'll be reading from Psalm chapter 33, and then I'll make my way to Proverbs chapter 14. Psalm chapter 33 and verse 12 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And I want you to think from that verse of those words, blessed is the nation. It's possible as a nation to be blessed, and the Bible says blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And now I'd like for us to look together to Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34, where the Bible says, righteousness exalteth a nation, 
But sin is a reproach to any people. I want us to think together today of the God-blessed nation. Father, we're grateful to be in this place together. I pray that you'd open our hearts to truth. Uh, I pray that you'd help us to find encouragement from what it is you have done in the past. But Lord, more than that, that we would have hope and confidence knowing that you'll continue to work even into the future. Again, open our spiritual eyes so that we may see truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All of the Bible is written for you. There's not a page in the Bible you can look to where there's not something for you. But it's helpful as we study the Bible to realize not all, the, not all of the Bible was written to you. Much of the Bible is a narrative. It's sharing a story. There are parts that are more personal in the sense it's one person writing a letter to another person. So all of the Bible is for you, but all of the Bible is not to you. And, and I want you to understand that's important because you can come to some horrible theological conclusions if you read a verse and take it personally, if it was a verse that was intended for another person, only for us to draw an application from. But as we come to this verse that I read a moment ago in Proverbs, I want you to know it's different. That verse is for you as much as it has ever been for anybody ever in the history of the world. We read from the book of Proverbs, and we know as we read these Proverbs, they are proverbial sayings. They were inspired by God, delivered to us through the writing of Solomon, and they share with us principles from God about how we are to live our lives. They're axioms, they're truths that God has given to us. And as we think of the verse that we just read, we know that it can help us understand where we've come from as a nation. It can help us to discover where we are as a nation. And more than that, it can help us to look ahead to see what we can become as we move into the future. Now, before we can come to any conclusions, what we're going to do today is we're going to break this particular verse down. We're going to consider all that God has said here about the nation that he blesses. And I think we can be helped in the process of it all. So as we take these words as they come, what are we going to learn? Here's the first thought we'll find as we study God's word here. We're going to see here the significance of a blessed nation the significance of a blessed nation if you're with me today say amen. amen solomon writes here let's go ahead and get started righteousness exalteth a nation and if we're going to unpack this verse we're going to have to start with the very first word he speaks here of righteousness god's blessing comes from righteousness and that large word here speaks to actions that are right. It speaks of morality and the principles that provides guidance. Now, I want you to know today that no single person, no, no nation can claim to become righteous all by themselves. That's not how it works. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 wrote this. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, there's, there's none that are righteous, no, not one. But that same Apostle Paul was also inspired of God as he wrote Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. And there we read this, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. 
The Apostle Paul was saying this, hey, when it comes to an absolute righteous standing before God, I can't get there on my own. I can't work for it. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. But he said, through faith, God applies his righteousness to me. And so I can understand in and of myself, I'm not righteous. But positionally, through faith in Jesus, God sees me as righteous. Now, uh, nations do not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior like people do. But I want to say today, when you have a nation that is comprised of enough people that know Jesus and love Jesus and want to live for Jesus, that nation will be a place that enjoys the blessing of God, the favor of God, and the hand of God upon that which they do. And we are blessed today as a nation. We're enjoying a blessing today because so many of those who've come before us have been people, imperfect people, but people who've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and they've sought to live for God, and because of that, we have blessings in our land today because of righteousness. One of our founders, Patrick Henry, said this, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There, there's no rewriter, revisionist uh, type of an approach to history that can discount the fact that so many of our founders were people that knew Jesus and they loved Jesus. John Quincy Adams, our sixth president, had this to say. He said the highest glory of the American Revolution was this that it connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. He was saying we were founded upon the truths that we've gleaned from the Word of God. John Jay, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, wrote this. He said, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. I believe an honest look at the history of our nation would reveal that many of our forefathers' faith led to some significant blessings. And we can wonder what happens when a people pursue God's righteousness. Well, the Bible makes it clear that God sets them apart. That's a people that God can use, a people through whom God can work. You see, righteousness, it, it, it exalts a nation. So now we've got to figure out what does exalt mean? What means to be lifted up? And when people make a determination through faith to know God and live for God, God says, you know, that's a person, or in this case, that's a nation in whom I can work, and God will elevate them to a position of prominence for a greater purpose than just their own. So we're grateful for that reality, but we also know from this word exalt, it speaks of, of safety. Uh, this term from a military standpoint means to uh, be lifted up so that you have the high ground in a conflict. It doesn't mean you're not going to have conflicts. It does not mean there won't be battles. But it means there will be a realm of safety that God can bring to a nation that is following Him. The psalmist in Psalm 32 and verse 7 wrote this, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. He, he was saying of the Lord there, you're my hiding place. It's, it's you, Lord, that brings safety into my life. You preserve me from trouble. And the word exalt has another concept in the definition. It's that of strength. Righteousness exalts a nation. An exalted nation will be a nation that is strengthened by God. David wrote these words in Psalm 144. He said, blessed be the Lord, 
my strength, which toucheth my hands, teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. David said, I recognize who it is that brings uh, the, the power in the midst of conflict. It's the Lord as he works in my life. So we see here the significance of a blessed nation. But I want us to consider, secondly, the substance of a blessed nation. I indeed am grateful that we can look back in our nation's history and we can tell the story of, of founders that knew the Lord and we can see how that has worked in the course of our, our history. We're, we're grateful for all of that. And again, although imperfect, we've seen the, uh, the blessing of God in our land. But we need to move more from a study of history into an assessment of the present. If you studied a God-blessed nation, what would you find? If you, if you got under the hood kick the tires, really analyze the nation, not, not just the United States, I mean any nation that was blessed, what would you find? And at the risk of being too obvious today, I want to say this, if you find a nation that is a God-blessed nation, if you look long enough, you will find that the substance of that nation would include the presence of God. A God-blessed nation has God in the midst of them. I'm grateful for that thought. You see, if it's righteousness that exalts a nation, we have to understand there's no concept morally of right or wrong without a standard. Everybody has to have a concept of what is right or wrong. And in the case of those that know God and follow God, we know that it is God that sets the standard, and the standard comes from His Word. In fact, one definition of the word righteous is to adhere to a standard. You cannot have righteousness without a standard, and you cannot have an appropriate standard that honors God unless you have God. David in Psalm 119 and verse 40 wrote, Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. There was the understanding that righteousness were connected to the precepts or the word of God. And I know that standards are things that we don't often like to talk about. They're kind of frowned upon today. But we absolutely need them. Just imagine if there were no speed limit. I mean, I know how fast my wife drives right now with the speed limit i mean you remove that speed limit sign all bets are off i'm just thankful my truck has a governor on it at about 114 i know that because i've been in the passenger seat while she hit 114 before all right and uh, so there has to be some kind of standards for any society to function yeah she's sitting over there i i'll get it later all right I heard of a factory manager who was having a problem getting employees to show up and be in their place when it was time to work. And in that factory, a horn would blow to indicate it was time to start working. And routinely, the horn would blow and people would walk in. He thought, what am I going to do about this? He didn't have a good idea. So there was a suggestion in the comments box in the factory. And uh, he let people know there with a sign that there was going to be a, a cash award for the person that had the best idea to get people in their place by the time the horn blew. Here was the winning answer to that. He said, have the last person in blow the horn. All right. Just imagine if there were no standards, there were no rules, a society would crumble quickly and it would be idiotic in the extreme. And we're seeing some of this even in the day in which we're living to say, uh, let's just go more an anarchist route. Let's just remove any authority, remove any standard. And I would say that's the end of civilized life in the midst of a society. Things crumble quickly when there's not a shared system of beliefs or an agreed upon standard. But I want you to also see that a blessed nation has purpose. For those who are Christians, we've been declared righteous in Christ. So there's a sense in which righteous is a static position. But I want you to see that it's also a strategic position. 
It leads us somewhere. It, it means there's a purpose. I, I think of David as he wrote the 23rd Psalm. L listen to how he spoke of this there. He said, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He said, let me tell you about the righteousness of God. It is a position, it is unchanging, it is static, but it is also strategic. It's a path that leads me somewhere in the course of my life. And friends, I'm thankful for that. Know this today, a God-blessed nation never, ever arrives. It's not how it works. It's always moving forward. In fact, it's not afraid to admit or acknowledge sins or shortcomings because it's more concerned with doing that which is right. The Apostle Paul managed this. He, he celebrated his standing as being righteous in Christ. Yet, yet he also wrote these words in Philippians 3. He said, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. What did Paul say? He said, man, I am positionally righteous in Jesus Christ. That standing's never going to be changed. It is assured through the power of God himself. But he said, as someone who's been declared righteous in Jesus Christ, I'm also keenly aware, man, I haven't arrived. I haven't apprehended. I've got more to learn. I've got more growth in the course of my life. He said, I'm going to keep moving forward in the path of righteousness in a sense he was saying i'm open to being corrected when necessary and i don't know about you i don't like being corrected i've never liked being corrected but a blessed person a blessed nation is open when the time comes to correction you see the bible tells us it's it's the one that god loves that he corrects it's a joy when correction comes along. I remember uh, growing up, the first organized basketball team I played on was in third grade, and I remember they had hoops that they'd lower a little bit, and I really enjoyed that. Uh, played all the way through grade school after that. Got into junior high and uh, had a great basketball coach in junior high. Uh, he was fantastic. Maybe the best coach I had in all of my years of playing ball. And uh, I remember he pulled me aside one day and he said, Steve, you're never going to be any good if you don't learn how to use your other hand. And what was meant to help me hurt my feelings. I needed a prescription for a baby aspirin to get over that one. I didn't like that because the way I saw things, I was already one of the better players on the team. I was already doing relatively well. And I did what I often do when people make me feel bad. I just shut down. I get quiet. I withdraw. And uh, that also is a weakness. And uh, my coach took note of what was going on. I remember he pulled me aside one day. He said, listen, Steve, you're a good player. On this team, you're fine. You're doing good at the junior high level. But he said, you're not going to be any good at the next level if everything you do is with one hand. You can't dribble with one hand, shoot only with one hand, go to one side of the basket only. He said, you've got to develop that other hand. And when I came to understand that he wasn't trying to hurt me with that correction, he was trying to help me. He was trying to prepare me for whatever it was that was to come next. I learned that there was a value in all of that. And friends, I'm, I'm thankful today that we've seen what I'm talking about in our nation as well. Man, in our past, uh, America has done for the world what no other country has ever done. Uh, don't, don't let people make you feel ashamed for being an American today. The world is better because of the work that God has done here in our country in years gone by. Missionaries have been sent around the world carrying the gospel. Churches have been started around the world. Uh, listen, I've had the privilege of living in foreign countries, of visiting many foreign countries. I've, I've yet to be to a country where I haven't seen a school started by an American, a college started by an 
American, a hospital, an orphanage. And I'm not saying that to praise and glorify us. I'm testifying of that which those who've come before us have done. I think of the American warriors who've defended our freedom. We fought Nazism and fascism, imperialism and communism, and those battles are never fully done. But victories have been won that have shaped the face of the world. And I'm grateful for a blessing that has come by those who said, you know, we're going to take a stand right here. What is the substance of a God-blessed nation? It's a people who know God and follow God and are willing, when necessary, to make appropriate adjustments to align their lives more in tune with the path that God lays out by His righteousness. But it leads us to a really important and incredibly relevant thought the final thought, I want us to see today the soul of a God-blessed nation. The soul. I mean, if you really just got down to the essence of it all, we know it's of God, He does the work, but the soul of a blessed nation. Let's look at the final expression in this verse. The Bible says, but sin is a reproach to any people. So we have the blessing of God that exalts a nation, puts them in a a position where they have something to do. They've been sanctified, set apart. They're, they've been given safety. They've been given strength. Uh, we, we are grateful for how that works, but really we come now, uh, we've seen what God does, but what, what is the heart of a nation that, that longs for righteousness that sees the blessing of God? The Bible says sin is a reproach to any people. God's blessing comes by way of doing that which is right. And reproach is what comes when we choose to do that which is wrong. So the soul of a nation who continues to enjoy the blessings of God is one that is, if you're with me, say amen. It is one that's incredibly sensitive to sin. Now the word reproach can be defined as dishonor. And it is the wise people who seek to deal with sin to avoid the dishonor that it always brings. I think of David. Of course, he became the great king, but before he was the king, he was a young teenage boy, and he stumbled onto a battlefield, and he saw this giant Goliath. And, and you know what was happening in the heart of David that led to God's blessing in his life and ultimately in the life of that entire nation? The Bible in 1 Samuel 17 says this, David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? He said, Hey, we don't want a reproach in our nation. Something's got to be done. We've got to address this issue. That guy's got to be removed. And this is a convicting thought because in a day that speaks so much of tolerance, we seem so intolerant to that which is right and so welcoming and celebratory of that which is absolutely wrong. I'm saying today that we so often have it exactly backwards from what we find in the Word of God. And God is saying, you know, you need to take sin seriously because it will lead to dishonor every time. As we're living through this time of the coronavirus, we've seen an enormous sensitivity to germs. And I get it. I don't want it either. But how many of you have known anyone who's taken an appropriate sensitivity to germs into the arena of paranoia? Anybody like that? Good. How many of you, it's your spouse? A few of you? Good. All right. Now, again, I'm not making light of the virus, but I'm saying when germs are around, people act differently. They behave differently. I, I've seen people driving down the road. They're in a car all by themselves 
with their windows up, gloves up to their elbows. they got a mask on, a visor, and they're just like, I'm thinking, no one is in the car. There's not another germ around. It's just you, and you're not going to protect you from you. We, we've kind of gone to levels at times. It's like, what exactly is going on? Well, why? Because there's a hypersensitivity to germs, and we're saying, I don't want to get anywhere near those germs. Man, it happened for me a couple weeks ago. I was in a store with Lisa, and we were walking down the aisle, and I had a mask over my mouth because I had to to get in the store. And it happened. I tried for it not to happen. I really did. Uh, But I couldn't help it. I sneezed. And I didn't have the virus. I just have seasonal allergies. And I was masked up, and I sneezed in my elbow like you're supposed to. It was like shots went off, man. People hit the ground, you know, uh, the loud system. Uh, We have a sneeze on aisle four, bring in the hazmat team. And, I mean, people jumped and scattered. And and there's a hypersensitivity right now to germs. Listen, I wonder what would happen if we as a people would have a a similar level of concern for the sin in our lives and in our land. It seems as though the lines are always being redrawn, redrawn. I wonder what would happen if we just stepped back from the line between right and wrong and say, you know, I don't want to live on the ragged edge. I so disdain the thought of doing that, which is displeasing to God. I just want to back up over here and I want to, I want to make sure I'm playing it safe in the course of my life. That's the heart we need to have. But I want you to know sin that brings reproach, it, it brings more than dishonor. Another definition here is disgrace. God wants to uh, have people that will avoid anything that will destroy the testimony that they can use to honor Him. We, we, we've been riding, I believe, on the coat, coattails of greatness for some time. A nation that has enjoyed blessing, and I believe to a degree, those of us who are living in this moment, there's a sense in which we've, we've been ushered into this moment by blessings that we did not procure ourselves. Maybe this would be a good time for some of us to be like Joshua who said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to step up and find our place in the long line of, of succession, those who've gone before us, there's others uh, coming after us, and we're going to make sure that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because a nation that lives in dishonor and a nation that lives in disgrace is a nation that will soon experience defeat. That's the way it works. And I believe we're seeing that even in this day. May I quote the business insider in church? I quote, a lot of people that write articles like this have a deep hatred for America, but that is not the case with me. I love the United States. I love the American people. But we need to take a long, hard look in the mirror and realize that it is not a good thing that we are number one in divorce, drug addiction, debt, obesity, car thefts, murders, and total crimes. We have become a slothful, greedy, decadent nation that is exhibiting signs of advanced decay. Until we understand just how bad our problems really are, we won't be able to come up with the solutions that we need. Now, if I said that, you guys would say that crazy pastor. That was not a pastor writing. That was an economist who has studied history and our society. And it said from an economic standpoint, Hey, we can't sustain what it is we've created. 
In so many ways, the handwriting's on the wall, the mantle of blessing is slipping, yet today I'm not hopeless. I'm not without joy or optimism. You see, we know how the blessing of God can come upon a nation. Something can be done about it all. You see, the the soul of a God-blessed nation is one that stands against sin and for righteousness. To Solomon, the Lord uh, had this to say in 2 Chronicles 7. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I want you to notice God didn't say, you know, if those other guys would get their acts together, isn't it convenient when you get to blame every failure and shortcoming in your life on someone else? Boy, that really lets you off the hook. Of course, you never grow, you never become, you never accomplish. God didn't say, you know, if those other people would just get their act together. He said, if my people, which are called by my name. And so it comes right back to us. It's not enough to dislike that which is wrong. We have to oppose it and repent of it. And that starts with us now someone could say pastor i thought this series were essential was about the church and today you brought a message that deals with nations specifically our nation since that's where we are right now you could wonder how, how does how does that all connect here's how it connects it connects because the church plays an essential role in society We're to model the love and life of Jesus Christ. We're to share his message of salvation. We're to take a stand against that which is wrong, and we are to stand for that which is right. We're to do that when we're in the vast majority, as has been the occasion at many points in our nation's past. And if all of the world says, you're out of your mind for your view, if we can trace our position back to the word of God, we need to joyfully, compassionately, with courage, take a stand for that which is right. I don't know that one is enough to bless an entire nation in the grand scheme of things, but it'll bring God's blessing to your life. And one blessed person can make a difference in their family. A blessed family can be a benefit to a community. A community can touch a county. A county can touch a state. A state can touch a country. A country can touch the world. And yet again, it all comes back to individual decisions. And as a church, we can make the decision to be what God would have us to be. Healing will come from God when we, as his people, turn to him in humble prayer and turn from that which is wrong in our own lives. And as we see that God today is working through the local church, it brings us to a place of decision. Will we be the people that will come to terms with the reality that righteousness exalts a nation? And will we determine to do that which is right? And then will we understand that sin is a reproach And say, Lord, by your grace, help me to do that, which you'd have me to do. Stand for that which is right. Oppose that which is wrong. And imagine with me, if we did that with the right attitude, everybody's so angry today. I mean, if we just had the right attitude about that, just the spirit of compassion, we're not to judge. We're not trying to uh, put anybody down. We're just trying to lift that which is right up. God will use that every time to bring a blessing. Our Father, we are grateful today for the opportunity Uh, to find in your word a roadmap that will lead us to where you'd have us to go. And God, I pray that you'd help us, those who would claim to know you and follow you, 
those that you would have referred to as my people. Lord, help us to lead the way in this regard. In an angry world where everyone seems to be splintered into different factions and fighting for their own uh, peace, Lord, we, we understand how this works. But I pray that as your people, we would be unified behind your word, that we follow that which you'd have us to say. Lord, for those today who don't know you as their Savior, I pray that this would be a day where they would get to the bottom of that issue and come to understand how much you love us and that you died to pay for our sins so that we, through faith, could be saved forever and forgiven of our sin debt. God, we pray for our country today. We thank you for our past, and even in this chaotic, unprecedented moment, we thank you for where we are now. But God, we pray moving forward that you'd help us as a people to return once again to closeness to you, to righteousness. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, thanks for being here today. It is always a privilege to be able to join together and worship. And we thank God for all you do here. If you are visiting, please take a moment to fill out.